Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 66 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and this is my show about my brother Dan. But there's also this other person joining me on the cast today. It's Miss Tiffany B. Hello. And the man himself, Dan. Ladies. Tiff, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to exclude you. No, it's okay. It's for the taglines. Happens a lot. Blame Travis. I think it was Travis that sent that. That's fine. You're, you've been a lovely, fresh, and young presence on this show. <laughs> I'm the oldest. I, I was really trying to do a diplomatic move there. Oh, so. it didn't work. Sorry. Try again. Uh, let's move forward then before it gets too awkward and talk about where you can find us on Facebook.com slash The League of Nonsensical Gamers. Send us an email at podcast.nonsensicalgamers.com. Over to BGG Guild number 2077. You can join in the conversation if you head over there. Find us on places like Twitter, on Instagram, and on the Anchor Radio app. We got a couple more subscribers after my last promotion. Tiffany B, not one of them. My phone refuses to download that app. Yeah, I don't know why. what they say. Maybe you <laughs> should clear tried. some space off for me. It's a br- I just got a new phone, so there's plenty of space. Put a little mat in your life, Tiff. Figure out. <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. I'm just going to call you out on it every every segment <laughs> until you join. Uh, so right. those are the places that you can find us. Also, we want to give a big shout out and a thank you to our sponsor, Tasty Minstrel Games. You can find them on playtmg.com. And hopefully I will be able to talk a little bit more about the deluxe version of Yokohama soon uh, as Dan and I both got our copies. Tiff, was this a game that you backed as well? No. No. Okay. Dan, are you holding on to Yokohama? No, not if you have it. Okay, then I guess I will talk about Yokohama at some point. <laughs> I have not gotten to play it yet, but it's very pretty. And on the Anchoret app, I did review kind of what was in the box and the stickering process because it was required, unfortunately. I thought everything would be screen printed. I had to put stickers on. It was a shame. But still a beautiful game. So thank you again, Tasty Minstrel Games. This is episode 66, and today we've been playing lots of games. We are going to talk about lots of games. And my lovely co-host, Miss Tiffany B., has played two of them. Should we jump in, or should we kind of ration you out amongst the show, Tiff? (laughs) You should ration me out. Okay. Two is not a lot, and especially when I'm looking at the list that you have. Yeah. Okay. So every third game, Tiff will talk. And we'll... (laughs) (laughs) And let's kick it over to the man of the hour. Dan, pick one of these lovely games you've been playing, and let's hear about how it went. Uh, we can start with, I don't know, first one on your list. Eco, Echo, Eku, I don't know. It's an abstract game from Sit Down. It has an exclamation point, so I think you have to say it like that. Um, it's a game about traversing a board with little pieces, trying to occupy territory with these uh, little houses Um, and by capturing other people's pieces and being the first person to 12 points I think is the game it's always hard to explain an abstract game on on radio but um, we played this one twice back to back because the first one was super uninteresting and lackluster and I think all of us were just like well that sucked Um, and so we played it again, and I think the overwhelming response was that was better. But I don't, I, me personally, I don't, I don't know. 
in, in the famous words of Matt, I don't know that I've wished to pursue it any further. Hey, that is a very diplomatic way to say something. It's okay. I mean, it, it had some interesting mechanics in it. I mean, it's an abstract, and you have to... like It's just like moving little pieces around the board, building stacks, and using those stacks to capture other people, and peeling people off those stacks to build um, little buildings and these buildings are with victory points and the thing is that like when you upgrade a building it's like you just upgrade so you just get like one more point but then other people the thing that annoyed me and i think prolonged the game longer than it needed to be was that other people could then destroy your buildings and build over top of them so it just created this constant like yo-yo back and forth of like i'm at 12 now i'm at nine or i'm at 11 now i'm at nine and now i'm at seven now i'm back to 10 and now I'm back, like it just it was like this circle. I don't know if that's just because we were playing three-player. Um, and in both games, there was king-making situations, which was, again, something you don't like to see. Uh, usually, like, one-off, I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like, we can we can deal with that, especially in, like, a three-player game because I think you can, you can probably kind of expect that, especially in an abstract game where there's zero randomness. Um, you know, you just have to make the decisions that are best for you, and sometimes it's going to help someone else maybe hurt someone else less you know that kind of thing but in both games there was a king making situation um and yeah i don't know i it's it's super pretty production though i really like the art style um the pieces were really nice um they even fixed an error in the pieces in the box which is nice to see that they were uh cognizant enough to to replace the pieces before it shipped out um I don't know. Overall, I, I, I don't know. I wasn't blown away by it. I, I, I'd play it again, but I, I, I don't know. I think it's probably better suited, as most abstract games are, to, to two players. I don't. While three and four are on the box, I don't, I don't know that I would want to play at that count again. Um, so, yeah. Echo, Eco. Not bad. Yeah, I don't know where I fall on it. I'm, you know, I, I bought it, so I want to like it. I want to make it a good purchase. It is very pretty. It comes with a a pretty price tag as well. Uh, it comes with that, you know, $50 mark for a game that's produced very well. It's got all wooden pieces, they're etched, you know, no stickers or screen printing or anything like that. So it's got a production value that matches its price. So the question is, where does the gameplay come in? And Dan's pretty much hit it on the head that those three-player games both involved king-making, and it, it's kind of unavoidable because you need to make moves that are best for you, but that that inherently potentially involves opening up avenues like all Kel did the one time when she came moke yeah i think that's right <laughs> was she moved a piece that she thought would benefit herself and didn't even notice that it just opened up a clear lane uh for me to move in and, and capture and get some points uh the building is cool in that you have to stack your pieces the individual at the game store who was talking to me about it i think i knew a little bit more than her about it when I bought the game she had said it's like um, battleship plus I don't think that's an accurate description at all it really doesn't have any battleship elements uh, but it does have the stacking almost kind of like crab stack maybe uh, the stacking elements where you need to get your pieces stacked up and move them around you spend a certain amount of pieces to build different size buildings and you have to build small buildings up to big buildings there's some nice offensive and defensive stuff but again back to that king making point it's just hard to avoid in a three-player game I don't know how four player would go. I think I'm willing to play it at four player. I'm willing to play it three player too, but I think that those are inherently flawed player counts in this game. 
because like Element, which we just played, handles the three-player game and the four-player game rather nicely. You compete with the person to your right. So Kel's trying to capture me. I'm trying to capture Dan. Dan's trying to capture Kel. Minimizes some of the kingmaking. You still might make moves that benefit someone else, but in general, you're not you're pursuing someone else, so you're kind of focused on a different area. Uh, this game, being a point-based game, can't do that, and they didn't really come up with an elegant situation or a, a solution to that problem. So I think Dan's right. I think we all agreed, all three of us around the table agreed, that probably want to look at this as a two-player game, and especially when we've been playing games like Tack, which we'll talk about. Uh, I played a, the... I can't pronounce this game. It's translates to like the king's table or something like that it's a it's a very old uh early century viking game where all of the viking pieces are in the middle and there's a bunch of enemy pieces around the outside and you move kind of like rooks and chests it's, it's a very old game but that's another two-player abstract game it's very simplified and elegant and games like eco are almost trying to do too much with a system that can't support it like this abstract simplistic movement and building just doesn't work as well with multiple players gotta hone it down to two and i think that it might be successful too i'm excited to try it i still haven't gotten to but yeah three player just uh, a little lackluster like it's it's a fun game to manipulate but if you don't have control over your end game if someone else has control over whether or not you or that third person win then that's not fun you know i'm gonna enjoy the first 25 minutes of it and then the last 10 minutes are gonna be kind of for not so uh but if I sent you a link, how do you feel about the production value? Isn't it sharp? Draws you in. It's very pretty. I like the yes. blues and the purples and the whites. Like, it's got a great aesthetic. And then you're like, ah, Kingmaker. So many games are like this. So it doesn't yeah. surprise me. But it does solidify. Now, it, it further solidifies as if I weren't already there my love of abstract games. Like, even though this game, I think, has some flaws, I really do like abstract games. This game was fun to play. And it's got some cool ideas. It just isn't executed like Onitama attack, like these chess. These games are so nice and simplified. And this game tried to do it. It just didn't. It tried to do too much almost, you know. So, but that's Eco. You know, Eco staying on my shelf for now. Uh, definitely going to try two player. If it can succeed at two player, it will definitely stay. But if two player is funky as well, then it doesn't really have a place now, does it? All right, so I'm going to move forward into, let's talk about some mystery solving. I'm going to go straight down my list. So Space Cowboys Asmodee have been kind of ruining my life lately. Because <laughs> they're really leaning into Sherlock Holmes. So Sherlock Holmes has always been popular, but it seems like as of late, very pretty, like, solve, uh, mystery solving games with the rise of uh, escape rooms and escape room style games and time stories and unlock and the cosmos escape room. like solving puzzles has never been more popular in the last like five years of board gaming i would say since i've joined i've never seen people so excited to solve mysteries and puzzles in a very consumable nature would you guys agree with that it seems like it's a trend for sure you know you can pay you can paste sherlock holmes on anything now because it's it's open source it's that expired yeah. like a year or two ago, and that's why you've seen the rise in that theme. Yeah. So I have, I got a bunch of games now. Now I'm happy to have these games, but I do. I, you guys already know that I have uh, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, the second one, the little uh, standalone expansion uh, that we played. I have Mythos Tales, which is 
that same system but turned into Cthulhu and produced by a different company. And now I have Watson and Holmes, which just came out. I picked that up because these games are just such a hit with all the people that I play them with. I'm really excited to try to get my best friend Andy into them because he loves Sherlock Holmes and kind of Clue and and uh, mystery solving. Kel and I are having a lot of fun. Ben likes them. Dan, you know, we've been pursuing time stories and we played some Sherlock Holmes and I think we had some fun with it. So I picked up Watson and Holmes because it's in the same vein, but it's it's a reprint of an old game. It's competitive mystery solving. So Watson and Holmes uh, has gotten the same Asmodee reprint uh, deluxification. It's very pretty. It's got a lot of nice components inside the box. Very nice presentation. Uh, but what the game is basically is there's 13 mysteries inside of it that increase in difficulty and you are collectively not collectively you're competitively moving around different location cards reading clues and trying to solve a mystery so it's very simplistic Uh, so the one that we played i won't spoil anything of the actual solution but the mystery was you know there was a train robbery uh, but the guard was sitting out front. This is the very first thing that you'll you'll read. The guard's sitting out front. He doesn't know how anyone got in. So you're trying to solve, like, who committed the robbery? How did they get in? And how did they get out? So you got three simple questions. Uh, you lay out all these location cards. And you can move to them each turn. If two people try to go to the same location, there's a little kind of, like, bidding... Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess it's, it's bidding, I guess. You're going to put forth a number of carriage tokens... And someone can place on your location and outbid you by placing more carriage tokens. And you'll have to remove yourself and you kind of go around uh, in that kind of bidding fashion until everyone's got their own location. Then you read this card, which has a bunch of text on it with clues. You take notes. And at any point, if you think you've solved the mystery, kind of like clue, you go to 221B Baker Street. You flip it over, see if you have the solutions. If you're right, you win. If you're wrong, you sit quietly out until somebody else figures out the mystery. Uh, And then very cleverly, that actually opens up an avenue where you can feed off of the incorrect person's answers. So if I went, which I did, I went and I was wrong, Sherlock Holmes opens up as an available space and he allows you to check your answers against the person who was wrong. You don't know which of their answers were wrong, but you can see and try to gather some more information that way. So it almost kind of expedites the end of the game. The more people that get wrong, the faster it's going to come to a close, which is good because you don't want to be sitting out by yourself at all times. Uh, Overall, I think the game was fun. We played it at three-player. This game plays, I think, up to six, maybe seven. I think that's the player count you want to play it at. Uh, it it would increase the competition for spots. The way that it worked with us is we all just kind of went to our separate ways, and if we ever ran into each other, it didn't cost us much to go somewhere else. We were like, okay, that's fine. I'll do that next turn. And we kind of just like all did our own thing with six players, lots more interaction because the spaces stay the same. Uh, You're running into people. You're trying to compete for certain clues. Uh, You can put police tokens down that bar people from going there. So you leave these police tokens behind and now nobody can get that clue unless they do something to remove that token. Uh, So a cool idea. Like it it just takes that same formula and turns it into a competitive game. And I think the competition works. I do not think that three player was that exciting. I think I would have rather just cooperatively solved a mystery at that point because it wasn't that heated. It wasn't that tense. Uh, and I sucked at it, so I really need Kel's help. It sounds like a light version of Sherlock Holmes consulting detective a little bit. It kind like of is. It, it, yeah, it's like if you played Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, but you just didn't talk to the person you were working with. Like if Kel and I just passed the book back and forth quietly, and then all of a sudden one of us was like, aha, we did it. Uh, 
it, so I think it could be cool with more players, uh, maybe four or five. I don't six just adds time to everything, but uh, I think I think four or five would add some nice competition to getting to the spaces. So what? So Dan, you play this Tiff? Do you, I guess I should start with Tiff. Tiff, do you have any interest in playing games like this? I don't mystery know. solving. <laughs> the thing is, is I only ever play with four or three or four tops. So if it needs like more than three. If it needs more than four, I don't know. How do you feel about like mystery solving in general? Are you? I know you're you're not a time stories player, but are you interested in consulting detective or mythos tales or anything like that? I'm not opposed to it, and I think my group would be into it. Yeah. I just don't. I don't happen to own any games like that. It's not necessarily on purpose. There are just other types of games that I reach for first. Mm-hmm. But if like like I've had um, Sherlock Holmes consulting detective on my trade list for a while. Um, you know, I would trade for that game and play it, yeah. but I don't, I'm not like going out to buy it right away. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I it's almost, this is the one that fe- Watson and Holmes feels like the game because consulting detective does not, it feels like an activity. If you want to use that distinction that people often make, uh, you know, you can sit down and just kind of toss this, choose your own adventure story back and forth. I mean, there's a mystery there to be solved, but uh, consulting detective in particular doesn't have a lot of this gamification Mythos Tales has a little bit more with some rounds and timing and different things happen. Uh, but this Watson and Holmes feels like the most ga- gamerly. Like it's it's a competition. Did you there see are how long it took? Uh, when you play it with three. Only took us maybe an hour. Okay. And part of that is because my darling mother was like reading cards and basically transcribing the whole card into her notes section. Like instead of picking out key pieces of information like you're supposed to, she's like, I need to write all of this down so I don't forget. Um, so that that took a little while. Okay. So don't play with so, my mom. <laughs> your mom sounds like me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't play this with me, I guess. Yeah. Okay. But no, not long. Not long. I mean, there's there were 12 spaces to go to. So in 12 rounds, potentially, you could have all of the information, and then you just have to go make a clue, uh, make a guess. And the rounds are simultaneous, basically. So It looks well, good. Like, it I'm does look very good. I'm looking at images of it. Of yeah. it. It's pretty. They package these very well. Um, Mythos Tales, their book is, it's all a book. All of the mysteries are in one bound book. But these two Asmodee products, each case is its individual leaflet with these individual packed components. So no chance of like running into other cases or spoiling anything. And they're designed very efficiently so that you, there's no risk of you like accidentally seeing anything because in Watson and Holmes, you get like this two page leaflet, the front and the back cover have all of your public information inside is all of the secret information. So don't have to worry about like, Oh crap. I looked at this card, like time stories. If you open a deck the wrong way, you're like, Oh, I just saw everything. Um, so th- this is very sensibly packed. So I like that. It's very pretty. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to go further with it. We'll see. It might Maybe end up I'll on my top of the I'll add this one to my trade list and take Consulting Detective off. If you'd rather play competitively. And this is, people might be trying to trade their old version. This is a direct reprint, I believe. I don't know how much rule changing they did. Um, sure. So you might be able to find an old copy. It's not as pretty, though. No, I need the pretty version. Sorry. Or if you wait until I play 12 more times... I can trade it to you because that's the interesting thing about these. They're consumable. Hmm. I will how be long done is with that them. Take? I don't know. Ask Dan how frequently he'll play with me. Oh. Yeah. 
Dan, right. do you I'll have any it. interest in playing the competitive version of these games? You've played the cooperative version? Um, I don't know. I looked at this one two years ago when it released at Essen, and I just didn't see a, a big enough distinction or difference between like Consulting Detective, which I already had, and this one, other than it being competitive slightly. Um, so, I mean, I, I like competitive deduction. That's fun. I'm not against it. But I don't, yeah, I don't know that I need to have all of them. Like all it's, of these types of games. Like yeah. I, I think they're all just starting to blend together. But yeah, cool. This is literally adult Clue. Like this is Gamer Clue. So I, people love Clue. I like Clue. I'm not like, I don't, <laughs> I don't need yeah. Gamer Clue. I'll, I'll play Clue. I, I really like Clue. Uh, wow, I also clue. like Mystery of the Abbey. I think that, that yeah. scratches my itch. Um. Clue is fairly simplistic, though. As an adult, it's it's way easier. I don't know if you played it recently, but it's really easy these days. Have Yo. you played it recently? Yeah. Well, oh. since I've started playing hobby board games, I have played Clue and recognized that like the deduction in Alchemists is really what you're looking for, and it ends up being a little bit lackluster. You know, you're hoping that it's like, oh, this is gritty, and I'm only handing cards that... I want you to see, and then you're like, oh, there's only like 12 cards, and I know everything on turn five. And now I just have to wait to roll my six. So I, can I get never to even middle. played Clue when I was a kid, so. Uh, we were big Clue players. Our grandma would play Clue with us. And I would get bored of it and then go to the middle and guess something wild so I could be out and go do something else. Uh, me and my grandma played Battling Tops. Nice. So <laughs> there was no time for Clue. I was obsessed with that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are you obsessed with either of the other two games that you've played? Um, obsessed, I wouldn't say, but I'm really glad I got to play Africana. That one's kind of been, it, it's in my effort to play things that I own that I wanted to play at some point, and they just kind of got left in the wayside. I've had Africana for a long time, and uh, finally got to play it. It's from Michael Schnacht. Schnacht. He um he's kind of known for making these book games. I forget what the other one is, but it's more fantasy theme. They have these little wooden stands that make decks of cards into like a book kind of a layout. Valdora. Valdora. What is it? Valdora is another one. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's that. But this is a like a pick up and deliver game. You are playing as a European nation expeditioning through Africa. Um, you it's really simple. You only have three actions that you can take on your turn. So you can draw travel cards, which are just different color cards that help you get from location to location. Each location has two colors assigned to it. So if I want to go to Mozambique, I have to play one of the two color cards to get there. So just really easy point to point kind of movement stuff. Um, there are adventure cards, and these are the things that are in the book. So there's one for um, north of the equator and one for south of the equator. Depending on where you're at, you can take uh, cards from there. you got to pay for them. It's five silver. You can flip the page of the book once for free. And then if you want to keep going, if you're looking for something in, in particular, you can pay a coin to do additional flips. And what's in those um, decks are different artifacts. So you can go, if you go to a location, you get the artifact, it gives you coins, it gives you points, 
or you can get assistance, which help with your travel. Um, assistance, African Uh-oh. assistance for your European expedition. Um, so yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> there are there are ones that correspond to each different color space on the board. But there is a penalty if you get, I think it's more than two, you start, you get endgame negative points because they're really powerful because uh, you don't have to play the travel cards to get places. And you already start out the game with a joker that can take you one space to any color. So anyway, that's how those adventure cards work. And then the last thing you can do is move using your assistance or the movement cards. And there are down below on the board different expeditions. And anytime you're in a location, each expedition card has two locations on it, the starting point and the ending point. So if you're on the starting point, you can put one of your markers on it to say you're starting. Anybody can put a marker on it. So there can be four markers on it, but whoever gets to the end point first, completes the expedition, gets the reward and the points. And you go on playing, I think, until that expedition pile is emptied out or you can't refill. And uh, it's whoever has the most points wins. And there are different end game rewards for having different um, combinations of the artifacts that you collect and coins and cards and everything gives you points. So I liked it. It was simple. I could play this with the board game club. I don't know if they'd be into the theme. Yeah. But I mean, you said you liked it. You're not glowing. No, I mean, most games are average, right? And this is kind of just my <laughs> shtick. <laughs> That's our tagline. Yeah, I mean, it's true. And I think this is, I mean, it's clean. It. I mean, if you look at it, it's kind of like beige. <laughs> it's very beige. And it's... It plays fine. It works. It's easy to understand. It was pretty easy to teach. I don't know. I, I it's it's fine. I would play it again. I'm not opposed to playing it again. So. Yeah. But it wasn't the most exciting game I ever played in my life. I mean, it's just like an hour long pick up and deliver set collection. I don't know. It's a little bit older, 2012. Yeah. That's the sweet spot, though, right? Not 2012, I, I mean, but yeah, remember 2012? Oh, that was the sweet oh, spot. That was, no. was 22. I mean, it's light and it only plays to four players. Is it like that satisfying one hour euro? I mean, I was surprised at how much like people were thinking about where they're going and, oh, yeah. I want to do this. I want to do that. Like, I mean, it has that sort of crunchy, like I'm trying to, and you have to be tactical as people move around and it might disrupt what you plan to do if they get your expedition before you do. Or, you know, you have that feeling where you don't, there's a lot of things that you want to do, but you only have one action per turn. Okay. So it, it That's does what I was have a little for, bit of decision making. Yeah. Reflection. So I'm going to go shut up my dogs. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> I have like vague <laughs> memories of talking about this or maybe it was Valdora or something with this book mechanism that was on like Dan's radar. Dan, was this, I, that's what's like bothering me in the back of my head. I'm thinking like, we've talked about something like this before with this book mechanism. And I can't remember if it was one of these two games or not. It was Valdora. Valdora. We played it. Smee owns it. Oh, maybe. That's Did you like Valdora? Yeah, I liked it for what it was. It was, I like pick up and deliver. So it was a quick little pick up and deliver. It had gems in it, which I love. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. 
Speaking of, you, you had said 2012, Tiff, and I was looking. Have you guys looked to the top 10 on BGG recently? I was on BGG looking at Africana, and I just happened to click over to see. There are only two games on the list that uh, occurred before 2013. That doesn't surprise me. Our hobby's so cult to the new in general. Like, people are always looking for the next thing. Gloomhaven has jumped to seven. I've seen a lot of people playing it. Yeah. Have you seen... So here's a question just popped into my head. Have you seen seen a lot of the same people playing it? Or has Hmm. it been, like, a wide swath of people? Because I see the same people playing it, but I don't know how many people are playing it. It's true. If you like it, you seem to love it, because I see people tweeting about it over and over and over again. Like, oh, third play, okay. 26,000 people have backed the Kickstarter, so I'm pretty sure it's a it's a good chunk uh, the they... first print run was small though the first print one was no more than like four or five thousand so well, that's what i was wondering i was wondering how many people are currently playing it to have it get to number seven i know that like a lot of people are going to be playing it in august when it fulfills but that there's only 3200 votes it's at seven it's kind of crazy i mean we're not commenting on the bgg list itself just the popularity of this game seems to have skyrocketed even though that first printing was so low or so small rather so it's interesting dan's uh terra mystica is holding strong it's because it's the best it's game on the damn game. list it's the best game on that list like easily caverna number nine i do like pandemic legacy man that game is a, is really really good amazing uh terraforming mars no no i don't think terraforming mars is top 10 terraforming mars is on my list i finally got to play it um i got a copy played it three player played it solo I like it. I get why people dig this game. It is not a top 10 game, though, I don't think. Is, is it? it good solo? Yeah. No, it's great. It was basically the same thing, except um, instead of competing with other people, you have to, within 14 rounds, complete all three of the Mars terraforming conditions. So you got to get the oxygen up, you got to get the temperature up, and you have to plant the plants uh, within, I believe it's 14 rounds. And then you score based off of that. Well, that and sounds I, all right. I found this big, long geek list where... Uh, this is a very popular solo game. Apparently, people are, they have a running total of the top scores within each corporation. Uh, so, gives you something to shoot for, some like end goal kind of things. I mean, I don't know if people know about Terraforming Mars, right? I don't have to explain Terraforming Mars. We've talked about it plenty of times before. Yeah. Okay, so Terraforming Mars. Uh, but the solo is is good. I mean, it it's the same game. I still feel so weird playing solo games. I talk to I, I want to talk to myself. I want to put my meeple across the table from me. I just want some companionship while I play them. But wow. I I get lonely, Tiff. But I do. I did enjoy the uh, I enjoyed the game, and I liked the idea of because I mean my favorite thing about playing Terraforming Mars so far is building that engine, and what the other players do is interfere with your engine. But when you play it solo, it's all you. So you just focus on building your commos, building your engine, uh, doing it all yourself, trying to get the... Do they really interfere with your engine, though? Because you're all drawing the same random card. like Or not the same, you're all drawing completely different random cards, and you just build your own engine on what you draw. They're all unique, so I, how are they interfering with your engine? Uh, when I played my three-player game, my primary source, we all kind of went different avenues. My, my uh, company wanted me to go cities, and because we were going cities or because I was going cities, I also was going plants because plants build off of the city points. Cities are worth one point for every plant or tree planted around them. Uh, 
Kel and Ben explicitly targeted my plant engine. So I was using all those interaction cards. Uh, my I was producing like 10 or 12 plants or yeah, I guess they're, they're called plants, plants per uh, production phase. And they would play incessantly. They would play like plant reduction cards, plant destroying cards, and they significantly hindered my ability to get plants out on the board or trees out on the board. Um, Did they win? So I was, what'd you say? Did they win? Uh, yes, I lost, I believe. I can look at the scores, but. I just find yeah, that would... game to be just focus on your own thing. I don't, like those ones that like that subtle little take that crap. That's a, I hate that in that game. But it's just like if you just focus on your own engine, like I, I've never really had an issue with that. I played a two player too, apparently. I forgot about that. Steve and I played a very sleepy game of it at like three in the morning. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, I can't do anything at three in the morning anymore. Why would you even start that game? I at can't three even in the sleep at three in the morning. It's like, it was it was weird. It's but like a two and a half hour game. Yeah, Ben beat me seventy four to seventy two uh, in that three player game where my plant engine was severely hindered. So yeah, no, I I mean the interaction is fine. I I get it. I guess why it's there. You know, you got to pay costs, and it is weird, though, when they're like, yeah, we're going to crash a meteor into your area and ruin everything. It just seems like that, like somebody in a playtest was like, this needs something so that we're not just spreadsheeting by ourselves the whole game. Yeah. They're like, this is how we'll do it, and it's like, eh. We'll make I mean, you screw everyone up. So, yeah, I so I guess because of my particular experience with a particular uh, nasty an effective job targeting my engine it the solo did feel a little bit more satisfying because i could just do what i needed to do and all of those interaction cards you're allowed to target the dummy player so you just assume that the dummy player has an infinite well of resources that you can steal from so you never have to hurt your own engine uh when you play those red bordered cards so you know, i thought it was cool i i like it i think it's cool um i may it takes a little bit to, to set up and it takes like so long for me to feel like i've thoroughly shuffled that deck of cards so, you know, we'll see how I break it out. But it's nice to have another really solid, like, this is a, a chunky um, solo option. This isn't like, you know, we're playing No Siesta or things like that. Like, this has, this is the same game. Uh, you know, play it in an hour and, and see how you did. So, I liked it. But, anywho, that was all born out of the fact that we're talking about the top ten list, which is now all games that have come out in the last three years. So... Maybe are games there are just better. Are there people out there that pl- pay attention to that top 10 list? I feel like we've talked about it a lot lately, and I never look at it. Well, I mean, I know, like, you know, if you go to the Gloomhaven page, they're updating their big picture with w- the, what rank it is as it climbs and things like that. I think that, you know, if you're jumping onto Kickstarter for the first time or you want to see what Gloomhaven's about to see number seven game on BoardGameGeek, and then you click over to BoardGameGeek and you see there's 90,000 games that relationship starts to feel meaningful. Now, we who look at this all the time know that these things fluctuate, particularly in the upward direction, very rapidly. Uh, so I like to keep uh, informed on it. You know, I, I look at it and I think about what's doing well and what's not doing so well. Uh, because I think that if you're a newcomer, what are you going to do when you come to BGG? Or what are you going to link to? You know, you're going to link to what is this? How is this game doing? I'm going to look for a rank. I'm going to look for popularity on this game if i'm going to buy something so i think that that's kind of an easy metric for people who aren't don't feel like digging through reviews to see i don't know 
That's legit. I, I've been trying to, I have a few diehard uh, kids in my board game club who are sticking with it through the dreaded track season. And oh, yeah. I was like, you guys should just look at Board Game Geek. And I like, we were talking about this last week because there were only three of them there. And I'm curious to see what they think of that website just from their 12 year old yeah. used to beautiful website. Oh my kind of gosh. Brain. It's so, gross. It's a I'll, relic. I'll, I'll have a report next week. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, like we've like talked it. about before, it's too much to shift. There's too much information to make a clean right. shift. Right. I'm just but. like, well, I'm trying to show them that there are so many games out there that they really have no idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, and I also think just to comment on when you do see games in the, the top 100 that like Agricola or Puerto Rico, you're talking about 10, 15 year old games. That starts to mean a little bit more like, OK, I'm number 12 and I came out 15 years ago. That's kind of True. cool. So to see to see the games that are more perennial. But anywho, uh, let's move forward. Dan, give me something else that you were interested in talking about. Um, I don't know. I haven't played a whole lot of interesting lately. Uh, All right, then give me something that you want to totally crap on. People like that. Some people. The opinion you need. It's true. The opinion you want. No. I'll, the Dan opinion. I'll keep it light. Uh, let's talk about. And the other one. Lady Good. Richmond. I'll keep it light. <laughs> um, this is a Haba game. Um, it's a auction game from Haba. So in this game, it's it's super simple as Haba games are. It's two pages of rules. Uh, most of those pages of rules are just defining the iconography, which isn't hard to understand, but obviously they have to define it because it's a rule book. There is a kind of circular board with seven spots on it. You play seven face down cards and in turn order, you take turns flipping up a card. And at any point, once that card is flipped up, somebody can grab the auction block in the middle. And when that happens, you start an auction. Um, each player is given 10 coins to start with. So it's a closed economy um, in that way. And you have those coins to bid. And you, when you make your bids, you're going to be bidding for all of the face up cards so you can bid on that single card or if there's four of them you want to you know you got to know when to like time it um and then when you flip these cards face up some of them are auctioneer cards so the auctioneer he has like five quote special cards like one is clear all the face up cards so wipe out all the ones you guys have been building up to bid on or um swap uh not swap you know regain your money so when you when you spend money on the cards it goes into this central bank and there's four cards in the deck that the auctioneer calls time. You go into that bank and you divvy up and everyone gets their 10 coins back. So it's, you know, you're, it's, it's a kind of interesting little flow, um, how the money is in flux and you kind of have to like, you can keep that in the back of your mind with the ability to have those come up as well as there's these special tiles that lets you swap things back in, which I'll get into in a second, but yeah, you just bid on the face-up cards. They're numbered 1 through 6 or minus 1 through minus 3. And at the end, whoever has the most wins. Um, and I mentioned each player has these three like special tiles that let you um, that are one-time use. You can look at face-down cards. You could swap a card within your pile with a card on the board. So if you had a negative, for instance, you could throw it back out there. Um, this was probably my favorite mechanic in the game because you could have like... You know, Matt could bid five bucks on the on the six card that's out there, which is the highest card in the game. But I could swap 
<laughs> that six with my pile for a minus three and then Matt just bid six coins on the minus three. So it's this really, it's this really slight bit of tension, but it, it kept me on my toes. And actually one time I forgot about it and I got stuck with a minus card. Um, so it was kind of funny, but, um, yeah, in typical Haba fashion, it's, I mean, it's not the greatest game. I'm not, I'm probably going to pull that out with our gamer group all the time, but if you had a family, um, this is a, an excellent introduction to auction games before you want to step up to Mr. Kenizia, for instance. Um, I thought it was well-produced. I thought it was a simple rule set and it had a couple of cool little mechanics in it. So again, I, I wouldn't recommend this for the, you know, the hardcore Kenizia auction fans or anything like that. Um, but again, if you had a family and you were a hardcore auction fan, then I, I would highly Todd. recommend it. Yeah. I think I think this is a good one for uh, Todd's daughters are probably beyond Kenitsia already because he probably That's had true. them playing Kenitsia at like two years old. Um, but no, I think it's 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 what Haba does, and they do it so well. Like I in this like family line of games, I have yet to play a game where I didn't enjoy it to you know for what it was. So good on them. Yeah, I think if you this might be like a drinking game for adults. Not and I don't mean like turn it into a game where you drink based on conditions. Like if you're actively drinking and or you're just kind of at a group gathering and you're feeling like super hyper and kind of silly, like this game would thrive in a very active environment because one thing that we didn't do where we were very meticulous about well, or non meticulous, like we just kept forgetting like whose turn it was to flip cards and we weren't very weren't very excited to like grab the middle. Like we weren't you can just grab this auction token at any time. And we weren't like competing or like punching each other in the head to grab the auction token and, and get that first bit out there. We were just kind of like, um, I guess I'll do it. But I think like if you played this like jungle speed and you just like kept flipping and kept the pace going really quick, one, you'd play it in like 20 minutes. And two, it would be a little bit, it it would put some artificial tension because you'd be like flipping and grabbing and flipping, right? You know, you'd, you'd be all over the place because um, it is this very continuous kind of thing. It it was fine though. I I did terribly. I could not believe how bad. And I just sat there and watched this game just slip through my fingers because the one thing I didn't do was spend money. And in an auction game, you got to spend money, especially because I just vastly overvalued my dollars. The four cards that come out that give you your money back came out twice before I even had spent any money. So I was like, great, there goes two chances to get money back. I'm already behind the curve. I've got no cards. And I didn't, I, it was all my fault. Like I just didn't push on uh, trying to figure out the value of of points, basically. Like it seemed like we kind of settled on one for one was fair, was reasonable. And if you were getting any extra points for your money, that was a value. So, and then you're always trying to avoid the, the dreaded overpay for a, a swapped in minus three card kind of thing. Uh, but I just, just bid because you're going to get your money back pretty quick. So just, that's my advice. If you play Lady Richmond, just get, just buy some cards. Don't sit like me. I literally did nothing for like 40% of Tiff, the game. And then I tried to, I got nine points and I think the winner had like 20 something. Tiff, I'll give you this one for your board game club. I think it'd be oh, fun. sweet. I think it'd be yeah, fun. Yeah, it sounds like it would be good for them. It plays yeah. up to five, I think. So, oh, cool. That's a so good yeah, number for us. Drinking game. Tiff, drinking game. For the kids? Yeah, for Got the it. kids. Just... <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, my. Uh, let's you, talk. Dan. No problem. 
I've got about 20 other games I'll send your board game club as well. Donations. They're always surprised when I'm like, yeah, someone gave us this game to play. And they're like, really? They have no idea how famous they are. <laughs> my my people at work sometimes, like if we're, they try to make connections, you know, we try, I mean, we're, we're friendly, we're, we're good friends, but sometimes they'll just like try to seek out my interests. And they're like, so Matt, are you doing any fun board game things this weekend? I'm like, well, yeah, duh. But no, I, I say like, oh yeah, we got sent some things that we need to, to dive into and, and check out. And they're like, oh, like people send you things like, well, not very frequently, but occasionally we get a thing and we, we have to play it and uh, it's good times. So that's a good feeling. It's like, you know, we're famous with Haba. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they send us children's drafting or uh, auction games, you know, occasionally. I mean, let's be honest though. We don't, we don't seek things out. Like maybe some no, other we do not. reviewers not do. Like, it's just like, We've never, have we ever asked for a review copy of anything? I don't, I don't, no, I don't, yeah. I don't go out pandering for stuff. Have we ever emailed anyone and said, hey, if you want us to review something, let us know? I, I did know. once. I did once did and you? I was shot down. Oh, <laughs> What game was it? It was that, uh, oh, the one about Graveyard. Oh, Bring Out Your Dead? Bring Out Your Dead. It was before it went on, or it was like Oof. about to go on Kickstarter or something like that, and they had like a change of plans on how they were oh, yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. And they were like, sorry, we're, we're changing plans. We don't need your review. And I was like, sad. Dagger. Yeah, it turns out the game, not that Turns say. out they wouldn't have wanted my review anyway, but. Nope. <laughs> wouldn't have wanted that review. Anywho, now I, yeah. So moving on, let's, I buy too many board games. Dan knows that. So everything I have is my own. <laughs> Anywho, let's 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 dive into something contentious. I made Dan play New Angeles with me. <laughs> I held them up. I held my game group up at gunpoint, and I said, "You guys are going to play this with me because it's only a four to six player game." And I finally had four players. Tiff's face is like, Bleh. I'm worried. I think I think Dan shares the sentiment. So I'm going to describe the game in a neutral fashion, and then I will let Dan crap on the game in Dan fashion. Probably justifiably so. It's a semi-cooperative... I don't even know how to describe the wing condition. Semi-cooperative negotiation game where you are only trying to beat one player. So four players around the board. You take their four faction cards plus this extra Federalist card, which I'll explain in a second. Shuffle them together and deal them out. If I get... If I'm the red people and I get Kel's card... As long as I'm ahead of Kel at the end of the game, I win. So there can be multiple winners, but there's always at least one loser. But there's this Federalist who is basically equivalent to a traitor who is trying to get 25 points, which don't really worry about that, trying to get to 25, and then trying to tank the whole game so that everyone loses. But that means that they win. So that's the semi-cooperative piece that you're trying to manage this threat track, and one player potentially wants that threat track to go all the way to the end and end the game. Uh, because if that gets the threat track, everyone loses. Unless there's a Federalist, then the Federalist can potentially win off of that. And that's exactly what happened. Ben was the Federalist because he's a terrible person. And he tanked the game and won and everyone else lost. Uh, throughout the game, it plays a little bit like Battlestar Galactica. K kind of. You're posing each round. Somebody is 
puts out a main offer. That offer says reduce this or ta- change that or move this. And those all think those things help the city collectively uh, from not blowing up. And then somebody can potentially pose a counter offer and say, instead of doing that, let's do this. And you negotiate back and forth and, and pose offers. And then eventually the two people who didn't pose offers have to vote using action cards to say, I support this offer. I support this offer. You can grease palms. You can offer things. You can say, if you vote for me, I'll give you this. And you're trying to get your stuff passed so that it helps you uh, advance your goals. And then every three rounds, the third round uh, is called a demand phase. You've got this semi-cooperative thing that you have to meet. We have to have this much production, this much this, this much that. And if you don't meet that, then everybody takes a penalty on the threat track. If you do meet it, then the game goes on and the group did not collectively mess up. It potentially goes six rounds with demand phases every three rounds. So it's like nine rounds total. And it goes long. I think we ended in the sixth round and that's two third or no, not in the sixth round, in the fourth round, maybe the fifth round. And that's only two thirds of the way done. Uh, it probably took us, I don't know, close to three hours to do that much. And we weren't on the game. A uh, lot of negotiation. It was a learning game. I kind of learned it right out of the box. Uh, it was a learning game, and but it, it, it goes slow based on how much negotiation you want to do and how willing people are to negotiate. Uh, the more negotiation potentially makes things go longer or the less negotiation potentially makes things go longer if somebody's trying to push, like if somebody really wants to force people like me, force people to interact with me, uh, which just prolongs like beating your head against a wall. So overall, I think that the game works, but it, it's like any negotiation game, it's group dependent. Like, and it also seems like it's player count dependent because the more players you have, potentially the more people to interact with, the more deals to be made, the more negotiation. In a four player game, it was like, do you want to help me? No. Are you going to help me? No. Okay, then I guess we don't go anywhere. Uh, so it was tough that way. And Ben in particular had a card that shut down one of the supporting players. So in a four player game that left you with no options. So if it was like, you know, I'll support Ben and Kel will support Dan. Ben has a card that says, Kel, you can't support Dan. So just Dan and Kel are boned because the four player game, there's no extra players to help support Dan's side. You just kind of cut that side of the board out. So that was very powerful. And that actually led to, to Ben's success. So that is the game in a nutshell. I, I do not know that I would call it a successful play. Uh, it was a little rough around the edges. Overall, it was late, and I don't know that everyone was super enthused to try it out. So, Dan, what do you think? Uncensored opinions. I have no desire to play it again, um, but that's usually most negotiation games. Um, I think the biggest thing is that this, like any Fantasy Flight game, there it just lacks an elegance to it. It's just so many moving little bits and cards and pieces and like it unlike something like Chinatown which I actually you know in reflection I actually enjoyed Chinatown because it's so simplistic and it's it's pure like and the negotiation there isn't as opaque and it's just it's just flat out let's get this I want points here you want points here let's talk about it this one had just so many moving parts um I mean, I mean, let's, it's a negotiation, a pure negotiation game, and the board took two thirds of the table. Like it was just unnecessarily overproduced. I think there was just too many extraneous elements that they were trying to cram into this, um, and it was 
longer than any game that is a pure negotiation game should ever take. Like that was just, and the one thing that annoyed me, I was like, okay, six rounds. I was like, sweet. But within each of those rounds, it could vary how many negotiation rounds you play within that up to five. So we played four rounds, but we probably went through like 25 plus negotiation rounds because we kept flipping out like fours and fives. And oh man, it was just long. It wasn't, I think it was closer to four hours we played. I'm not like, that was a long game. And to just, and the other thing that made it, I guess for me, it started to lose. Like, I think if it was shorter, it would have kept my attention much longer, but you're playing these cards that are offers and stuff. And the decks, there's five decks that you draw from and your faction is always drawing like two from one deck and then one from any deck. But within each deck, there's only like three or four different types of cards. So it's just constantly just this, oh, that card again. Oh, that card again. And I understand what they're doing because each card, you know, it plays out differently within the, the various kind of scenario of how the board is laid out in its current form. But it was just, I don't know, that kind of, that fell flat for me. Uh, the one thing I really liked was the asset cards. Um, I liked that they gave each player, if they won, you got this asset card and these asset cards gave you like a small little async power. Uh, Matt kind of touched on it when he talked about Benz because Benz in a four player game was just overpowered. That was, that car was completely broken in a four player game. It just led to so many like, really? Like, which was fine. It just created a lot of no win situations. Yeah, and it just, and for those people that it forced into a no win, it just, it literally just took the wind out of my sails. I was like, all right, fine. Here I am trying to like do some stuff. I put an offer out or I'm trying to support someone. And then he just flips this card sideways, taps it and says, nope, you can't do any of that. And I'm like, ah. You had a similar card. It was less powerful, but you did also have something that shut people down. I did. But the thing that was different about mine was you just could pay me. Like it was just an extortion card, which in in a negotiation game, fine. That makes sense. Like that one literally just cut off an avenue like completely. Um, And in a four player game, it just, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't work. Five, six, fine. I'm okay with it. You could shut one person down. That's fine. There's still two other people that can hash it out or three other people. Um, But I really liked those cards. I thought it gave it a nice little flavor. Um, I mean, the theme was there. If you're looking for the theme, um, it was there. I think just, yeah, these these semi-co-op competitive games are just so miss for me. Like they just create this weird situation at the table where it's like, I'm winning, but I'm not winning because we're all losing, but we all need to help each other not to win, but win. it's like, Oh, I'm confused. Um, so yeah, it is what it is. I mean, like I said, I think for me, they just try to do too many things with it. Like I just, you know, and that's fantasy flight. That's what they do. They need to put bits in the box to justify that $60 price tag. Um, end of the day, I'd rather just play like a game like Chinatown, which is just, like I said before, it's pure. It's like, let's just do it. Have some fun done in an hour. Okay. That's fine. I think, a, you know, a pure negotiation game that takes three, four hours. is just, it's too much for me. Way too much. Yeah. I think that we, we ran into similar problems with what was that Tom Basil game? nothing personal nothing personal nothing personal yeah like we we didn't have a lot of success with that game uh i like that one better than this one too. yeah so i'm I'm thinking about all the negotiation games we play i think nothing 
tops our experiences with Las, uh, not Las Vegas. What's that game? Lords of Vegas is the best Lords game of Vegas. in the world. I, love I mean, Lords game. of Vegas is a game that our group and our family really, really enjoys and does well with in terms of the negotiation. It's got a backbone that doesn't force you into things, but that provides avenues to wheel and deal. And we get we get our little brother Eric in there who loves that kind of style and the theme works really well. And that kind of game does it really well. So it sets a very high standard. Um, I think that Chinatown is successful. Chinatown's pretty good. But like you said, it's very simplistic. So what I think that is cool about New Angeles is, yes, it's got a lot going on. And I think that, you know, you in particular were a little overwhelmed trying to get the your bearings straight because it is a fantasy flight game. It's got a lot to uh, explain. It has that stupid two rule book thing. And I expressed my concern over this. When Fancy Flight does a miniatures game or a card game, okay, give me the basic game and then give me the rules reference to learn how to be more strategic. This is a board game. Do not give me two rule books and don't teach me all the game. Give me the whole game in the rule book. I'm a big boy. I can read a whole rule book on a complex game. But I read through the rule book and said, okay, set up your game and play and then come back and play the real game after you read the rules reference. Well, no, give me the damn game in the box in the rule book. And let me play it. If I'm playing a miniatures game, sure, teach me the movement and how to fight and then teach me how to build armies. If I'm playing a board game, teach me the whole thing. Do not give me this dual rulebook BS. So I'm very upset about that because I read the rulebook and thought I was done then had to read another rulebook to get through it. So yes, there's a lot going on. And it's a lot to teach. It's, it's a pure negotiation game that necessitated two rule books. I mean, that should say it right but, there. So, you know, when you say pure negotiation, it's not just sit around the table and negotiate. There is. But that's all it was. There are a lot of. You put out a card. Everyone negotiates on it. You put out another card. Everyone negotiates on it. You, that's well, I know, all it but was. that's the thing is, is, is it's not quite that because it's not no thanks or something like that where you're just kind of like bidding and trying to grab a card because of all the extra things. The extra things make it not a pure negotiation game because you have to factor your negotiation into the impact on like eight different things. You've got unrest, you've got outages, you've got uh, organized crime people, you've got human first people, you've got price people. There are things everywhere and that's what makes it harder to be such a game. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I think that the cool thing about that is, is it lends to individual motives which make the negotiation interesting. So each player has their own faction with their own uh, strengths, like Dan wants to cure illness, I want to reduce unrest, Ben wants to put security forces out. And there's a there's a little way to interact with that on the board for each one of them. So there's unrest tokens, which I really want to deal with. There's illness tokens, which Dan really wants to interact with. And all of those complexities get, make a give and take and kind of an assessment of motives like why does Dan want to help me with this thing that clearly doesn't benefit him or or why does you know I know Matt only wants to do unrest so he's pushing those yellow cards kind of thing so it it does give you stuff to play with which I like like it gives you more to work with other than I'll give you five dollars no I'll give you six dollars it gives you some talking points some manipulation Um, I, I think that that's interesting but you have to have people who also find that interesting and who are ready to play ball. And I think that Kel in particular, she played it like, I'm trying to beat this person. I think she was trying to beat Ben. So as long as I have more points than Ben, I'm not going to entertain any offers because she's playing it as, I need points. I've got my points. I don't need to do anything else. 
and that that shuts down a negotiation game. But that's it that's, makes sense logically. I'm not faulting fair. it. But the idea she ended up losing because Ben took over, and the idea that I had was like, okay, if you were willing to play ball with more people in those times where you were set. That produces goodwill. That's the social element that this game brings, that a negotiation game brings. And the complexity of New Angeles allows that to happen. Whereas Chinatown is like, you traded with me last turn, I'll trade with you this turn kind of thing. Like, So there's a give and take. But I do agree that it's a lot going on and it 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 convolutes and waters down the certain aspects of the experience. So I'm not disagreeing with that. But I do think that there's some strength here that you don't see other play, other things doing. But... It's not as elegant as Chinatown or um, Lords of Vegas. And a game that I really like that everyone hates and Kel has said, well, she'll never play again, Tammany Hall. That is our point of comparison for, is this game better or worse than Tammany Hall? She likes New Angeles better than Tammany Hall uh, because Tammany Hall is is cutthroat and we were mean to each other during that game. Like that game is brutal. Uh, so, but I also like that game. But anywho, so it, it's somewhere in the mix, but yeah, I, get, I get that you're not going to want to play it again. I don't know that Kel will want to play it again. I would love to try it with five or six players. I would like to try it with people who are into the theme, like Steve, or who are into like wheeling and dealing and just kind of like engaging socially for the sake of engaging socially, not not just like I've got my points and I'm done kind of thing. Yeah, but you're wheeling and dealing, but if I'm if I'm 20 points ahead of the person I have to beat... I have no incentive to help you guys. Like, I'm doing fine. Like, I'm doing okay. Like, that was me, like, the first three rounds. I was so far ahead of you that I I didn't need to give you money or give Ben money. But or... that's where the that's where the, the semi-co-op element comes in, where you need to make sure that everyone, that you're still good with everyone, because when push comes to shove, somebody in that, at that table is likely trying to tank the game. But I, I, I'm in a... I'm in a strong position, so I don't have to negotiate. But you're never in a strong position because you can always lose. That's the problem. Like, even you can have a thousand points more than me, but if the track, if the threat level gets to 25, you lose just like I lose. Yeah, I get it. But I'm just saying, like, I think it just, it, especially early, it just forced like this artificialness on you. Like, I don't need to deal with you right now. I'm trying to figure out my strategy. I'm trying to, like, I don't need this goodwill with you right now. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, I think you're taking a you're taking a social game and playing it with people who don't play the social game. I guess. I guess. But so. I, I don't think you always I don't think every element of a social game has to be social. Like there there's they put points in this game for a reason. Like and that's your target. Like you don't you know what I mean? So it just comes back to that whole competitive co op thing. I just think it's a it's just a weird mix and I don't think anyone's really gotten it to a point that I enjoy it. So well, so that's New Angeles. It was it was a weird experience. I'm not really sure where we fall on, Tiff. I'm sure you want nothing to do with it. <laughs> it just sounds frustrating. And I think I'm with Dan on the whole, you know, competitive cooperative is a tough sell. And I recently played a game with the board game club kids that had, it was a competitive game, but it had cooperative elements. And it's just, it's hard. It's hard to intermingle those things it's just it's just a weird psychology it's just like yeah i mean and i'd say i think it can be done and i think it can be done well but i don't think it has been yet so i'm also really bad at any kind of negotiation i surprisingly liked chinatown but it's not something i seek out anyway yeah i think 
I mean, the, the cut and dry nature of Chinatown is, is nice. Like you've got shops and you've got money. That's what you're working with. You know where you want to go because you want to build big shops. And this game is largely more complicated, has many more moving pieces. It's It's got the bloat that Dan is not a big fan of that he, he mentions a lot. Um, and it's got the, it's, it's fantasy flight, you know, it, it really is. It, it kind of exemplifies everything that if you don't like fantasy flight, this is why you don't like fantasy flight kind of thing. But the theme is awesome. If you like Netrunner, <laughs> if you like the Android <laughs> universe, the theme is great. Yeah. The thing uh, I, I love like too, about like a Chinatown or a Lords of Vegas is they throw in that, like that random element. And I'm not always a big random element fan, but like in a, in a game like that, or it's like, you're like in Lords of Vegas, like you're banking on that that gold casino card coming out, or you're you're hoping that B six comes out or something, and that happens, and it's like yeah, and but you can't like smile or anything, you know what I mean? Like you got to be like, um, or Chinatown where you get the property that connects your you know your shops or something like that. Like this one just didn't have that any of that moment, those moments for me. Like it was, it just didn't have that like excitement. This this is a much more tense game. Like it's. And it's probably doing me like when I play negotiation games, especially when I get frustrated, like I, I'm not going to lie last night. Like I was a dick. I left it on the table. Once I closed the box, I was fine. But during that game, like Kel threatened to punch me. Dan and I came to blows. We were not nice to each other. I was an asshole. Like, I'm not going to lie about that because I wanted to negotiate. I was pushing for myself and I was the one who was behind. I did not have the luxury of sitting and coasting 30 points ahead. I had to push and tried every angle I could. I tried to smooze, schmooze. I tried to be nice, and then I tried to be mean. And when I was mean, that was not okay because that torched some of the experience. Now, Ben was like, cool, everyone's mad at Matt. I'm going to coast to victory uh, because it was problematic. But Chinatown and Lords of Vegas, are they're nice games. Like, they're fun. They're light. They, they're, they're happy-go-lucky. Like, they're good family games. This game is... Not I don't that. see how you get you can't play this game like you play with like Chinatown even if you don't have me Matt the jerk I don't see how you play this game in a nice fun like I'll trade you a fish tank for a laundry like you you don't play it that way yeah that's fair it's, but I, those are the games I, I like if I'm going to play a negotiation yeah, game I want to like yeah exactly if I want to like, play hardball I'll just go to work. Like, 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 that's my thing. Like, uh, I'll go to work. I'm an auditor. I have to negotiate daily with people. Um, and yeah, I, I want my games to be fun. That was my thing. Like, I just want them to be lighter and more fun and less, uh, less convoluted. I definitely avoid games with like that tense atmosphere because then you just feel exhausted when you're done. Yeah. Don't that's you? how I was. I went to bed after it. I probably like, I don't normally go to bed at like midnight, but I was after it. I was just like, I'm just drained i'm just gonna go to bed yeah and see i like i mean i like to fight i like i like <laughs> i mean dan dan made comparisons to me and my dad my dad loved to fight too like it like just to argue to to debate and to negotiate and to to push you know my dad playing monopoly was a was an aggressive monopoly player kind of thing so uh my lovely wife and dan kind of pointed out like oh we've, we're seeing some dad we're seeing some dad we're seeing some of that hardball uh but you know i i like that and i it's tough to communicate that feeling like, hey, I still love you guys. I, we're still friends here. I'm not mad at you personally. But in this game, like, I'm mad, I'm cranky, I'm pushing, I'm aggressive. Like, but that's stay. It's fine. We move on from that. It's okay. We can throw blows. We can call names. And we move on from it. But it's hard in the moment to be like, uh, guys, don't actually be mad at me. Because, like, in an hour, we'll, it's fine. We can move on. Life will be okay. I don't care that much but in the moment 
I'm yeah, I I seem like it's my whole world. But sadly, that game it wasn't an hour; it was three more. Yeah. <laughs> like, Being uh, that tense for that long would be tough. I think it's just yeah, and it's it's not like a you know like a Twilight Imperium where you're playing for twelve hours, and I can play that any day, all day. Because there's other elements, there's tactics, there's battles, there's all this stuff. In addition to the negotiation, this was just pure, we need to talk through this. Round after round after round. Same cards, different situations, let's do it again. This is a big social drain. Like It it takes a lot of concerted mental energy to play this game, I think. Especially with me. It's tough. And so the moral of the story is Matt is a pain in the ass. Don't play yes. negotiation games. If you with play me. negotiation games with me, I'm if a pain in the ass. You want to stay friends. Dan often gets on me in non-negotiation games cuz I try to play a negotiation element and he's like there goes Matt with his psycho babble. He's trying to get in your head. Yeah, I'm it like, doesn't yeah. it doesn't work on me. So I build that farm. It never build works on me, but he he tries it on my brother Mike and he tries it on Ben and he tries it on Kel and I just I call him out. I'm like don't listen to him. <laughs> He's trying to get in your head. New Angeles is is a thing. I asked Kel if I should trade it. It was my Christmas present, uh, and I have to ask permission to trade my ki- Christmas presents because I did that once without asking her. And she was like, "Why did you trade that thing? I got that for you." So after the worst game of New Angeles ever, I was like, "So should I trade this?" Um, you she also no. gave one to the trash can in front of her when you were moving. <laughs> Uh, well, we Ouch. don't talk about that. No, that was not in front of her. We, God, don't get me started on that story. It was funny. <laughs> you guys blew that one. It's in the trash can because I have parts from it. So. Totally blew that for me. I didn't know it was a Christmas present or a birthday present. Idiots. <laughs> what game was Just it? Just the whole lot of you. I, for a second there, I was, when I was looking at my classic games thing, like I really wanted a backgammon set. I really wanted to play some backgammon. So she got me one of those like Target things. This was like years and years ago. Got me one of those Target like 30 game in one kind of things. Had a chess set, had a backgammon set, had all kinds of things. It was missing pieces though out of the box. So we couldn't even, I couldn't even play backgammon with it. I couldn't play checkers with it because it was missing pieces. And it wasn't like a, it was probably like a $30 set maybe. So we went to the move years and years later, like this past January and I get when we went through the game room, which was the hardest thing to move. I looked at Dan and was like, if you want to salvage this crap for prototype stuff, like this game, this game, this game, like tear it apart and we'll throw away everything else. But I was like, you can't show her this was a present. There, so you didn't tell me that part. You didn't tell me that discreet. part. Everyone knew but you, Dan. I didn't hear it. You must have told Mike. <laughs> well, that no, was you didn't hear it right is different there. than me not telling you. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, well. So I said, please discreetly dispose of this. And we spent the entire day juggling this box around, trying to hide it. And then eventually, like, Dan just throws it in the trash can in front of Kel. Like, it's just, what a mess. Ouch. You know, it's funny how upset people get when you throw away something. Like, I mean, whether it's a present or not, because we got gifted a whole bunch of classic games for Board Game Club when I first started it. Every teacher in the building that had a clue set or a chess set just clunked it down in my room because they were trying to get rid of it but uh then when i started throwing that stuff in the trash the kids started panicking about it i'm like hey if you want to take it home go right ahead and then they're like no that's okay so (laughs) i don't want it i just don't want you well dan salvaged it all yeah it was just like it was just cardboard at that point 
if you couldn't play it, I don't see what the problem was. Like, it but, was just the it was the idea. I thought that's so, why you were getting rid of it is because you couldn't. And the play fact it. that I have a habit of not being minimalist, but moving on from things, even if with their sentimentality. Like, I have a lot of things I love and collect, but if I'm like, I feel no more attachment to this, I will just get rid of it. And I've done that with multiple presents, which is not something that people like you to do. <laughs> so, anywho, it was just a ba- it was a Target backgammon set. It's fine. It's not the end of the world. It you wasn't hand carved. Those in like Goodwill if you need one, because everybody's trying to get rid of that stuff all the time. By the way, this audio is going to be just terrible. My neighbor is doing something. I don't know what it is, but it's got. I know. A nice... I see them through your window there. It's like a low rumble. I can't hear it. I think oh. you're okay. Okay. My, my I, volume's I hear it, but it's not that bad. Mm, that's driving me nuts. We'll okay. Sorry. All right. I, th- I think we've been talking for a while. I feel mentally drained just talking about New Angeles, so I think we need to wrap. Yeah. yeah. Let's do that. All right, friends. So thank you all for joining us, for listening to us have some interesting conversations about the games that we have played. Remember that you can always chime in, tune in. Uh, talk with us about the things that you're playing or your thoughts on facebook.com slash league of nonsensical gamers you can shoot us emails feel free podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com uh, we do try to try to respond to those promptly if we get them if we didn't get them just send them again uh, bgg guild number 2077 get yourself a micro badge contribute to the conversation if you think i'm crazy about how aggressive i am or you think dan's right about new angeles go ahead and chime in Find us on places like Instagram if you want to see some of the pictures that we post. Uh, Nonsensical Gamers is run by Dan and Steve, has some really nice photos on it. And if you want some crappier pictures of my game nights, cinnamon buns on Instagram. If you enjoy the show, you can always go over to iTunes and rate us. You can give us some stars based on how well you like the content. If you have any constructive feedback or some positive things to say, feel free to post that on there. Uh, You can check in with me on the Anchor Radio app. Look for Pong, P-O-N-G, radio. I do some segments, you know, every day, every other day uh, about different things. I just talked about Yokohama and what was in the box. Uh, If you want to hear specific things or if you have any tips or feedback for that, let me know. Uh, It seems to be catching on a little bit. It's a cool little app. Uh, Thank you to TMG, Tasty Minstrel Games. They are our sponsor. For this episode, you can check them out at playtmg.com. Keep an eye out for all the things coming out. Uh, You can go back to our news episode last week to hear more about the games they have lined up on Kickstarter and things like that. Uh, If you want to find us, Twitter is a great way to connect with us pretty much instantaneously. Tiff, if they want to chat with you directly, how do they find you? I am at ineptgamer. And Dan, if they want to chat with you, they can find you on... At League Nonsense or at Scandalous underscore Nad. Yep. And if you want to chat with me, you can say at Cinnamon Buns, spelled phonetically. Uh, good luck. We got a lot of long names. Oh, no, but Twitter handles aren't uh, included in your character count anymore, are they? You can tweet now? me. Sweet. You'll, you're going to have a friend or two now. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Come find me. Thank you all for joining us for episode 66. We will see you next time, hopefully with a news episode. Until then, we can all say goodbye. Toodles. Bye. Bye. Bye.